Welcome to the Mariners Podcast from Sports Ethos, your place for worldwide sports coverage. I'm your host, Tino Ganasius. You can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20 and the podcast at Ethos Mariners. It's Friday, July 7th, uh, coming off of a Mariners victory in the first game of a four-game set against the Houston Astros. Uh, in this pod, we will recap yesterday's game, talk about the pitching matchup for today, which is Luis Castillo against Hunter Brown. I read an interesting article about uh, R.J. Anderson, who's a writer for CBS Sports, his top 20 trade candidates uh, at the deadline, and I'd like to talk a little bit more and dig into the candidates who he thought might be Mariner targets, and then um, mention a couple of resources if you're interested in the uh, Major League Baseball draft, which is coming up on Sunday. So the Mariners won the first game of this four-game set, 5-1. George Kirby got the win. He moved to 8-7, now has a 3.09 ERA, six and two-thirds innings, six hits, One run, it was earned, and one walk and three strikeouts. Matt Brash came in for his eighth hold, just a third of an inning and a strikeout. Uh, Andres Munoz got a hold, his seventh, one inning, one hit, one K. And then Justin Topa in mop-up duty in the ninth, uh, pitched a scoreless ninth. Funny, in Matt Brash's five uh, pitches, he got two pitches mentioned by Pitching Ninja on Twitter, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, hitting wise, uh, JP Crawford hit a solo home run. Uh, Eugenio Suarez had two home runs, a two run shot and a solo shot. And that was it for the Mariners offense, but that was more than enough. Uh, Suarez hit his first home run in the second inning off of Ronel Blanco, who was the Astros starter that they had just recently brought up from AAA. Blanco was in the rotation, uh, earlier in the season for the Astros Suarez homer to left into the Crawford boxes, 365 feet. He uh, drove in Jared Kelnick with the home run as well. That put the Mariners up 2-0 in the second inning. Uh, in the third, J.P. Crawford homer to right center. Uh, it's 371 feet. That was a solo shot, put the Mariners up 3-0. I tweeted out yesterday after these home runs, when you look at the location of these two pitches from Blanco that were hit out by the Mariners, it just, they missed. He missed. It was a middle-middle slider to uh, Suarez that he hit out. It was a pitch that Suarez needed to do damage on. It's great to see the Mariners actually hit, uh, kind of punish the opposing pitcher for leaving leaving pitches up and leaving pitches middle-middle. Um, so Suarez hit that middle-middle slider out. And then the, the homer from Crawford, the catcher is set up low and outside. And while the pitch was still low, it was in the middle of the zone. Um in Crawford, Homer to right center on that. So again, I hammer location, but it's like real estate, you know, it's, it's location is the most important thing. And, uh, the Suarez homeward on a missed location, as did Crawford. Mariners go up three nothing and kind of cruise from there behind George Kirby. Uh, each team scored a run in the seventh. Mariners added, added an insurance run in the ninth inning on a, uh, a Eugenio Suarez solo home run off of Rafael Montero. So Suarez end up ends up going three for four, three runs, three RBIs on the two so on the two home runs. Cal Raleigh went one for two with an RBI and two walks. JP Crawford 
one for three with the solo home run and a walk and really nothing else to speak of. Julio went one for four and that was the extent of the Mariners hits. Um, Really the story of this game besides Suarez's two home runs was George Kirby. Again, he went six and two thirds, one run ball uh, shutting down the Astros. But most interesting to me was he was a very different pitcher in this game. Uh, 16 first pitch strikes, just 26 batters faced is pretty normal for him. Um, 64 strikes and 93 pitches is also pretty normal. I've seen him have a higher percentage of strikes, but that's pretty normal as well. But what he did very differently in this game versus uh, his averages for the season is that he was he turned into a sinker slider pitcher in this game against the Astros. This is the first time I've really seen this from him. He was 45% sinker, 30% slider, 20% four-seamer. So 45, 30, 20, sinker, slider, fastball. On the season, he is 39% fastball, 24% sinker, 18% slider. So his four-seam usage was down 19%, almost in half. His sinker percentage went up 21%. And his slider percentage went up 12%. So he led with the slider instead of the fastball. And then his his slider was or led with the sinker instead of his fastball. And the slider was his um, first secondary that he threw. Uh, just really fascinating to see him do that. And obviously the Mariners either see something in what the Astros, how the Astros attack George Kirby, or this is something that he's decided to try to do Um to get uh, opposing teams off of the fastball. Maybe he's trying to use the fastball as more of a strikeout pitch. But in any event, again, 45% sinker, 30% slider, 20% fastball in this game. He did throw two splitters and two curves. His velocity was up on the sinker 0.7%, up on the slider 1.4%, and up on the fastball 8, or excuse me, not percent, miles per hour, 7.7 miles an hour on the sinker, 1.4 miles an hour on the slider, 0.8 miles an hour on the fastball. So at fastball in this game was averaging 96.6. Um, but fun. It's fun to see pitchers tinker. It's fun to see pitchers take some chances. And that's clearly what uh, George Kirby was doing in this game. Um, let's see if he continues this trend. I will be very interested to see if this is going to be his plan of attack moving forward or if he, you know, he's got the type of command where he could take the Bill Belichick approach, which is to to be multiple and to not be predictable. Bill, Bill Belichick, you don't know if he's going three down linemen, four down linemen, you know, run heavy defense, pass heavy defense. He does whatever he believes is the correct approach week to week and tries to create a roster that enables him to do that. George Kirby has the type of stuff and the type of command where he could decide to throw like in this game. I'm going to throw 45% sinkers to the Astros. I think that's the right approach and reduces his four-seam usage in half and it'd be effective. He might go against a team later on who's more effective against the sinker and he goes more heavy four-seam up slider down, but it's very cool to see. Most pitchers have to stick to their approach because um, that's what they know and that's what they're able to execute or are trying to execute. Whereas Kirby has such great command, I think he can do damn near whatever he wants. So again, George Kirby pitched a contact a little bit with the sinker. He knew that he wanted to induce weak contact. 
super fun to see. Um, the, the story of this game was George Kirby and his sinker heavy approach and uh, the power from a Eugenio Suarez. So good game for the Mariners. Again, they take the first game of this three game set. Um, three more games coming up against the Astros. We'll see what the Mariners are capable of. Um, if they can take this second game tonight, then you ensure yourself a split and you're going for the series or the sweep on Saturday and Sunday. That would set up for a really uh, positive outlook heading into the break. The Mariners are now seven games out, right at 543 and 43. Uh, won six out of the last 10. Win different or run differential of plus 26. The Astros are now 49 and 39. They are two games behind the Rangers in the AL West. As far as the wild card goes, the Mariners are now four games out of the wild card. Astros are currently the second wild card. So Mariners get back to 500, um, pick up a little ground in the uh, American League West behind or on both the Astros and the Rangers, um, but a lot of fun. Tonight's game, I think, is uh, I wouldn't call it an important one. Um, I don't want to exaggerate, but one that the Mariners could really create a lot of positive momentum if they were to win. They have won five out of the last, I believe, five out of the last six. No, excuse me, six out of the last seven now. Five out of the last seven, excuse me, because they took two of three from the Rays, took two of three in the last series. So this makes five out of the last seven games Mariners have won. Um, but again, get that momentum. Uh, George Kirby really did uh, lead the Mariners in this game, Kirby and uh, Eugenio Suarez. Tonight's pitching matchup, as I said, is Luis Castillo against Hunter Brown. Luis Castillo on the year is 5-6 and six with a 3.05 ERA and a 107 whip. In 103rd innings, 79 hits, 28 walks, 114 strikeouts. Running a 6.9% walk rate, which is in the 69th percentile in Major League Pitching, 27.9% K rate, 15.5% swinging strike rate. Uh, and again, four-seam slider, sinker, changeup, four-seamer, 45% of the time at 96 miles an hour, has a 37% whiff rate. Uh, slider, 21%, sinker, 18%. And uh, change up 17%. Lefties are hitting 240 with a 731 OPS against Luis Castillo, and righties are hitting 181 with a 592 OPS against Luis Castillo. Hunter Brown. Hunter Brown is a 24 year old right handed starting pitcher for the Astros. He was a consensus, you know, top 50, top 75 type of prospect in baseball heading into this year not considered a an elite premium pitching prospect but certainly uh if he's not inside of if he wasn't inside of the top 10 he was just outside of the top 10 I know some folks had him in their top 5 I did not um but he's 62 212 he was drafted in the 5th round by the Houston Astros in 2019 he is arbitration eligible in 26 and a free agent in 29 this season he's 6 and 5 with a 376 ERA and a 125 whip in 91 innings, he's thrown, he's surrendered 84 hits, 30 walks, and struck out 103 hitters. Uh, 8% walk rate, 27.5% K rate, compared to 6.9% uh, walk rate for 
Castillo. So Castillo slight, walks slightly fewer, and they strike out about the same percentage, um, despite the fact that Hunter Brown uh, swinging strike rate is only 10.8%, which I believe is right around league average. Uh, his zone contact rate is 85.2%, which is slightly over 3% above league average. That means that it's easier to hit strikes against Hunter Brown than most other or a lot of other pitchers. He's running a high batting average of balls in play at 328. Um, a bit unlucky there. He's a 55.7% ground ball rate, which is very high. Uh, that probably is the reason for his high batting average of balls in play as grounders surrender a higher average than fly balls do. But a ground ball pitcher or a pitcher that locates the ball down, I guess is a better way to put it. Um, 43% fastball at 96 miles an hour. Opposing hitters are hitting 262 against the fastball. Curveball at 27%, that's 83 miles an hour. Slider at 27%, which is 92 miles an hour. That's a hard slider. Um, that's a more contact-inducing slider, I believe, than it is a strikeout pitch. He gets a 21% whiff rate on that. He's got a splitter that he's thrown 3% of the time. Uh, lefties are hitting 233 with a 686 OPS against Hunter Brown, and righties are hitting 260 with a 701 OPS against Hunter Brown. So not a big platoon split. Um, to me, he's a probably a number three starter moving forward. Uh, you'll see shades of Justin Verlander in his windup. That is his idol. That's the pitcher who he's modeled his um, delivery after. Uh, Hunter Brown's a good pitcher. He's effective. He's cost-controlled for a long time. Uh, Astros have done a really nice job in developing him. Again, I think he's a number three uh, for them. I I kind of couple him with, say, a Logan Gilbert in that he's going to be highly valuable. He'll probably end up, once he's a free agent, he'll end up getting a contract that is probably uh, – more costly than his true value. I don't know that the upside is there for him to be a dominant number two or a number one, but he's an asset. Um, he's the type of pitcher that uh, every winning team needs. Again, he slots into that Logan Gilbert role, I think, for the uh, Astros in that he's going to be a horse and he's going to provide a lot of very effective innings, but doesn't have the ace upside. Moving on, uh, this piece from R.J. Anderson I found very interesting. R.J. Anderson is a writer for CBSSports.com. Uh, he published this, or CBS Sports published this article yesterday, um, ranking what he considered to be the top 20 MLB trade candidates at the deadline. Uh, the players on his list that um, in which the Mariners were included as potential trade partners were shortstop Paul DeYoung of the St. Louis Cardinals, shortstop Tim Anderson of the Chicago White Sox, uh, outfielder first baseman Cody Bellinger of the Chicago Cubs, outfielder Randall Grichik of the Colorado Rockies, and outfielder Adam Duvall of the um, Boston Red Sox. So what I did was I broke down these players' statistics from this year. I looked back at their history a little bit. Um, off the top of my head, I feel like I knew pretty much who the players were, but I wanted to dig a little more to see if these players were actually 
um, improvements for the Mariners over what they have, first of all. So if you're talking about middle infield, it's this player would be replacing uh, the platoon of Jose Caballero and uh, Colton Wong. Um, And then you'd have to consider what the Mariners would have to give up for each of these players, which I think each player would be different. Um, I don't know if you're talking about giving up a Brian Wu, Bryce Miller, Logan Gilbert type of player, um, but you're probably talking about giving up a decent minor leaguer or um, maybe some bullpen help. So probably not a Harry Ford, but maybe a Jonathan Classe uh, type of player, maybe a Cole Young, um, maybe a couple of pitchers, maybe Emerson Hancock and Tyler Dollar, that sort of thing. So consider that when um, thinking about what how this player would fit with the Mariners. So Paul DeYoung, the three teams that were listed as candidates were the Dodgers, the Brewers, and the Mariners. Same three candidates for Tim Anderson. Um, Paul DeYoung is 29 years old. Uh, he would probably play second base and Crawford would stick it short. He was the fourth round pick of the Cardinals in 2015. In 18, he signed a six-year, $26 million contract that runs through this season. There are club options for 2024-2025. So Paul DeYoung would be club controlled by the Mariners for another two years. Uh, he was pretty good in as a 23-year-old in 2017. He hit 25 home runs. In 18, he hit 29 home runs. And in 19, he hit nine, he he hit 30 home runs. So here was a power hitting shortstop heading into his prime between mid-20s and, and 30 home runs. That's why the Cardinals signed him to this contract um, that runs through this season. Paul DeYoung hit a wall, was rendered completely ineffective. In 21, he hit 19 home runs, but he hit 197. 284 on base and a 674 OPS. He spent time in AAA in 2021, 2022, and this season. In 22, he hit six home runs and 237 plate appearances, the 157 average and a 531 OPS. So Paul DeYoung was essentially rendered um, kind of a non-factor by the Cardinals and sent to AAA. He's not a part of their future plans um, he has resurrected his career, his major league career, a bit this season. He's hitting 230 with a 305 on base and a 440 uh, slug, which is good for a 745 OPS in 233 plate appearances. The one thing he does provide is power. He's hit 12 home runs, four steals. Um, he's walking at a 7.7% walk rate, which is 39th percentile in the in baseball. He strikes out 30% of the time. Um, so he's has a 105 WRC plus currently. Uh, his average exit velocity is, is in the 16th percentile at 87 miles an hour. Um, his average launch angle, which I don't love as a stat because you can be super high and super low and come out at a decent average, doesn't tell a, the whole story, but 20 degree launch angle means he's hitting the ball in the air a lot. Uh 36% ground ball rate. He's pulling the ball 47% of the time. Uh, and his zone or his uh, swinging strike rate is 15.7%, which is very high for a hitter. 
He also, there's a 34th percentile speed, sprint speed, which um, means that he's just not very fast. Uh, he chases a lot. And his splits, which are maybe most important to me, versus lefties, he's hitting 275, 387 with an 897 OPS. That's a great OPS against left-handers. Against right-handers, he's hitting 215, 273 with a 693 OPS. Against fastballs, he's hitting 282. Breaking stuff, 169, off-speed 207. What does all this mean? All these numbers just recited a, a big bucket of numbers at you with Paul DeYoung. He's basically would be taking the role of uh, Jose Caballero or Dylan Moore as the right-handed second baseman for the Mariners um, or against left-handed pitching. Versus right-handed pitching, he's not much better than than Caballero would be. Um, he certainly doesn't get on base as much. He might hit for a little more power, doesn't get on base nearly as much. He is, versus lefties, he's what Dylan Moore is supposed to be. As much as I don't like Dylan Moore, um, Dylan Moore still might be knocking off the rust, right? It's hard to be a, a part-time player, especially coming off of injury. Um, Dylan Moore's upside versus left-handed pitching is what Paul DeYoung is doing this this season. DeYoung also costs, if you want to keep him, he's going to cost, what is that, $4.5 million um, in 24 and 25. Um, to me, he's the same as, as uh, Dylan Moore. I'd rather have Jose Caballero play. I like some of the intangibles that Caballero brings to the table. So really... At second base, I think you're looking for an improvement over Colton Wong. You're looking for a hitter that can hit consistently against right-handed pitching. The Mariners can can handle left-handed pitching um, with Caballero and hopefully Dylan Moore. Certainly with Sam Haggerty, right? Would I rather see Paul DeYoung up or traded for or the Mariners bring up Sam Haggerty and give him a shot? I think Haggerty is just as, as much of a shot at contributing truly contributing to the Mariners as Paul DeYoung does. Um, DeYoung's, again, WRC Plus is 105 this season. And this is coming off of seasons where he was horrible. He was trash in AAA in 21-22 and this season as a 29-year-old. So to me, Paul DeYoung is, is, I'm out on, I don't think you give up resources for a player who is not truly going to help you. Um He's taking plate appearances away from Caballero. He's taking plate appearances away from Dylan Moore. Again, I don't love Dylan Moore, but Dylan Moore's upside is what Paul DeYoung's doing right now. You give up a real uh, asset for Paul DeYoung and you're making a mistake. Um, Tim Anderson is a bit of a different story. He was number 13 on the list. He's 30 years old. He's been kind of the heartbeat and the leader of the White Sox for quite a long time. 6'1", 185. He was a first-round pick of the White Sox in 2013. In 17, they signed him to a seven-year, $36.5 million contract. Uh, the club does hold an option for 24, so Tim Anderson would be controlled this year and next year. For his career in seven-plus years, he is a 283, 313, 742 OPS hitter. His 97 home runs in seven-plus years and 113 stolen bases. So he's basically a two, he's been a 280 hitter, 285 hitter that doesn't walk and will give you double digit home runs and steals. 
Um, he plays an athletic shortstop. I'd say he's not a great shortstop. I'd grade him out as average, but um, but makes some spectacular plays. Uh, I, I think with Anderson, he looks to be hobbled to me a bit. I would probably put him at second and keep JP at short if he's the play. Uh, but this season, he's hitting 231, 268 with a 541 OPS and a 49 WRC+. Um, I know he has an injury that's been hampering him a bit, but in two set, 276 plate appearances, he has no home runs and nine stolen bases. He's running a 5.1% walk rate and a 21% K rate. His batted ball metrics, you know, his average EV is 88.5 miles an hour. He did hit a ball 109.6 this season, um, but his launch angle is 0.8 degrees. And his ground ball rate is 64.7%, which is way above his career average. He's already a, a ground ball heavy hitter. And for his for his career, it's 52.9%. But this season, it's 64.7%. So he's hitting everything on the ground. Um, and his swinging strike rate is 11.6%, which is the lowest of his career. So he's making more contact and hitting more balls on the ground than he ever has. Um one of the other really telling stats or a couple other really telling stats with Tim Anderson is that uh, he's hitting 290 against the fastball, but 182 against the breaking ball and 154 against off, off-speed pitches. I don't know if the Mariners need another hitter that can only hit fastballs. Um, the way that the Mariners are losing quite often is is pitchers just leaning on breaking balls, knowing that the Mariners can't hit them. Uh the other thing, just like Paul DeYoung, he's hitting 323 with a 728 OPS against lefties and 200 with a 480 OPS against righties. So Tim Anderson, same as, as Paul DeYoung, does not help the Mariners where the Mariners need help. Now, if he gets back to the Tim Anderson of old and he starts hitting the ball, um, hitting more line drives and fewer balls into the ground, then we're talking. Then I think Tim Anderson is is very much an upgrade at second base. But as of right now, he's providing you what, you know, similar production to what a Jose Caballero is providing the Mariners. And that's not worth giving up the resources that I think the White Sox would want back for their team leader and their starting shortstop. One other stat of note with Tim Anderson is his speed, sprint speed percentile on baseball savant this season is 47th. In 22, it was 77th. In 21, it was 74th. In 2020, it was 92nd. 2019, 87th. And 2018, 88th. So at no point in time was Tim Anderson in the last six years or five years below the 74th percentile in sprint speed. And this season, he's in the 47th. Clearly, he's hurt or he's aging. And when you hit the ball on the ground as much as Tim Anderson does, you need wheels to leg out hits, right? You need wheels to stretch singles into doubles. And so the value that Tim Anderson brought in terms of um, hitting for a high average that came from a lot of ground balls is not the same tool or is not as effective when you don't couple that with good speed. And so if he's losing his speed and he's hitting the ball into the ground more, and he's potentially injured. I don't know how much of an asset Tim Anderson is. That's a gamble and a gamble that I don't think the Mariners should take. Next player is Cody Bellinger. He was signed by the Cubs um, 
from the Dodgers this year in the offseason to a one-year $17.5 million contract. It has a mutual option uh, for 2024. He was drafted by the Dodgers in the fourth round in 2013. Bellinger's 28. He's 6'4", 203, left-handed. He can play first base or an above-average um, outfield. He is an above-average defensive center fielder currently for the Cubs. I think he would play would be great in either of the two corners uh, for the Mariners. This season, he's hitting 298, 352 with an 838 OPS. Um, he's really improved upon the past couple of years where he really went in the tank. Uh, he was the MVP, I believe, in 18 with the Dodgers and National League MVP, and he just completely went in the toilet in the last couple of years. He has eight home runs, 41 runs, 28 RBIs, 10 stolen bases, 7.7% uh, walk rate, and an 18.3 or 18% K rate. So he's not striking out that much, but he's not walking a ton either. One of the reasons why he's performing better this season is a 331 BABIP. It was 255 in 2022 and 196 in 21. Um, he's not hitting the ball very hard, which I find really interesting. His average exit velocity is 86.4, which is down three miles an hour over previous years. That is only in the ninth percentile in baseball. Uh, so he's not hitting the ball very hard. His launch angle is 18.1 degrees, which is the lowest launch angle he's had since 2020. So he's not hitting the ball straight up in the air like he has previously. Um, but his barrel percentage and his hard hit percentage are really bad as well. 4.7% barrel and 27.5% hard hit. Um, he's pulling the ball less than he did. His lowest pull percentage since 2017. And he's hitting the ball to center more often than he has in his entire career. So he shifted his approach a little bit more. I think he's waiting on the ball a little longer. Um, his swinging strike rate is lowest since 2020. It's 2% lower than it was last year and 4% lower than it was in 2021. That's a great sign that he's not swinging and missing nearly as much as he did um, earlier in his career. And he's whiffing less. So the other thing I like a lot about Bellinger is that uh, – He's pretty even against all pitch types. So 292 average against fastballs, 255 against breaking stuff, and 394 against off-speed. He doesn't have that big um, split between fastballs and other pitches the way the other trade candidates did and the way the Mariners, um, for the most part, are throughout their lineup. He also is hitting 333 with a 1.0. 019 OPS against lefties and 282 with a 752 OPS against righties. I don't, I don't uh, believe too much that this is a permanent platoon split for Cody Bellinger. I think that, you know, that he does stay, he's always kept his right shoulder in um, against left-handed pitching, but I don't expect this to continue. Uh, Bellinger, I think is a very good candidate for the Mariners to look to trade for. Um, I think he will opt out in 24. So he would be a rental. The Cubs are starting to fall out of contention a bit. Uh, I'd love to see Bellinger as a, the a corner outfield rotating between first base and corner outfield and DH for the Mariners. He would take that Mike Ford spot. Um, as much as I love Mike Ford, I think Mike Ford might be even better uh, as a pinch hitter in spelling against tough right-handers. Bellinger would give you a legitimate bat at the DH spot. Uh, his batted ball metrics are interesting. I think that, you know, we see him as this huge power player, but this season his 
he's been better because I think he's just trying to get the bat on the ball and hit more line drives than he has in the past. Um, what would I be willing to give up for a Cody Bellinger if I was the Mariners? Um, I think the Cubs would probably start with a Wu or a Miller. I wouldn't do that. Uh, but if you're talking about minor leaguers, with the exception of the top couple minor leaguers in the system, um, I think Bellinger might be worth it for the Mariners to try to acquire. I don't even know if the Cubs would be asking that much. Uh, so Bellinger's, a, you know, is a yes. The other two were a no. Uh, Randall Gritchick, outfielder for the Colorado Rockies. The Giants, the Brewers, and the Mariners were the three teams rumored uh, with Randall Gritchick or the, I guess the three teams that were the best fits. He's 31 years old, 6'2", 216. He was originally a first-round pick of the Angels in 2009. He signed a five-year deal with the Rockies in 19. Or maybe it was with the Blue Jays, but he signed a five-year deal in 19. He has signed through 2023. He is also a rental. Currently hitting one at 289, 353, 798 OPS. Sounds great, right? 800 OPS, 290 hitter. His WRC plus is 101 because he plays for Colorado and his BABIP is 361. So running a super high BABIP, he's an average hitter according to WRC plus in 215 plate appearances. He has four home runs, 30 runs, 20 RBIs, one stolen base, seven and a half percent walk rate, 22% K rate. All that stuff is fine. I'm not hitting for nearly as much power as you associate with Randall Gritchick, but you know, I could go over all the other numbers. There, none of them really stand out too, too much besides a 49% pull rate and a 40% ground ball rate. What is, he's hitting 305 versus lefties, 281 versus righties. Here's the big thing with Gritchick. Here's what I'm getting at. And here's why I would not, I would stay away from Randall Gritchick as far as I could. He plays for Colorado. We all know, of course, Field is a hitter's heaven probably number two to Cincinnati at this point. He's hitting 324, 384 with an 864 OPS at home and 250, 320, 723 OPS away. So his numbers are propped up playing in Colorado. Colorado's park factors for this year only, 2023, for right-handed hitters, overall is a 115, home runs is a 104. 15% 15% better for hitters, right-handed hitters in Colorado, 4% easier to hit a home run in Colorado for a right-handed hitter. In contrast, uh, T-Mobile for right-handed hitters, 93 overall, 90 home run. 7% more difficult than league average overall for right-handed hitters, 10% more difficult to hit a home run. You take Randall Gritchick out of course, and you have a, if you're lucky, a league average bat. So giving up assets for Randall Gritchick as a rental to me makes zero sense. Um, I'd rather see the Mariners dip into some of their quad a outfield bats. If you're going to um, go this route. I also don't think that Gritchick is, I might rather have AJ Pollock to be honest with you than a Randall Gritchick, because I think Pollock is already on the team um, you know that he is going to hopefully uh, progress to the mean and probably provide better uh, production than Randall Gritchick has so far versus left-handed pitching. I don't think the Mariners need help in the outfield too, too much against right-handed pitching. Um, 
So Grichik is a no. The last one is Adam Duvall. The Twins, the Mariners, and the Phillies were rumored, or not rumored, were uh, our targets, according to R.J. Anderson. 34 years old, 6'1", 215, drafted in the 11th round by the Giants in 2010. He signed a one-year, $7 million contract with, with the Red Sox. He got off to a really fast start. Five home runs and 120 plate appearances. He's currently hitting 252 with an 830 OPS. But he injured his wrist in April. It's the same one that ended his season in 2022. Um Power hitters with wrist injuries are like the biggest stay away. It's like a pitcher with an elbow or a shoulder. Um, that's a hard no for me. Even if he was healthy, I don't know how great he would be. I'd rather the Mariners give up more resources for a Jorge Soler than trade for Adam Duvall. Um, so he's a no. Last bit of trade target information that I want to bring up is according to John Morosi, the Mariners and the Cardinals have been talking. Uh, the big headline here was that the Mariners have made George Kirby unavailable. Well, duh. Mariners aren't trading no George Kirby. I can tell you that right now. I, I don't. It's. I think when I see George Kirby's name come up online in trade rumors, that sort of thing, it, this has got to be the product of the opposing team putting this out there, or it's got to be writers just looking for anything because – George Kirby is an all-star. He's the Mariners' number two starter. He's also, down the road, an AL Cy Young candidate. And you're not trading George Kirby for Brendan Donovan or some kind of, you know, league average Cardinals hitter that has shine because he's a Cardinal. It's not happening. Um, the hitters that Morosi brought up were Nolan Gorman, and Jordan Walker. Now, if Jordan Walker's in the conversation, I think the Mariners have to start to think about giving up real assets for Jordan Walker. Um, Jordan Walker is a top three prospect coming into this season. 6'6", 240-pound power-hitting right fielder, prototypical right fielder, came up as a third baseman. Um, Jordan Walker is like a 260-40 home run potential type of dude. Uh, if I'm Jerry DePoto, I would more than willing to give up big assets for a Jordan, Jordan Walker type. In that case, you might be thinking, you might be looking at Bryce Miller and Brian Wu and a hitter or two going to the Cardinals. Um, so Jordan Walker was one name that came up. I still don't know if George Kirby is a player that I would include just because pitching is at such a premium right now. You would probably have to or have to consider it. Um, I know I said I would never trade Kirby if Jordan Walker's in the conversation, I have to think about it. But the one I wanted to get to was Nolan Gorman. So Nolan Gorman is a left-handed hitting second baseman. Um, I'm calling him a second baseman. He plays below average defense at second. For the Cardinals, 6'1", 210. He was their first round pick in 18. He's arbitration eligible in 26 and a free agent in 29. Uh so far this season, he's hitting 237, 324, 801 OPS with 17 home runs. Big power hitter, 11% walk rate, 30% K rate, but a 118 WRC plus. Only 29% ground balls uh, versus lefties. He's not hitting lefties well, 200, 306, 739 OPS, but versus righties, 241, 327, 810 OPS. For his career, 612 plate appearances, 31 home runs, 
10% walk rate, almost a 32% K rate, 231 hitter. They won 12 WRC plus. What would you give up for Nolan Gorman? Um, Nolan Gorman would slot in at second base. He would be your second baseman who could hit right-handed pitching until 2029. Uh could he be a strong side platoon bat? Maybe. Um, is that still a huge asset? If he's hit, hitting that well at second base, it might be. Um, I don't love these big power, low average types of hitters. Uh, normally, especially if the Mariners have a number of them, as they do with Cal Raleigh and Eugenio Suarez. But Gorman is certainly an upgrade over what they have versus right-handed pitching at second base. Uh, J.P. Morosi asks, would the Mariners be willing to pivot to a Logan Gilbert, Brian Wu, or Bryce Miller for a hitter like Nolan Gorman? Uh, my answer is no. I think the Mariners' strength is pitching. Um, if the Mariners make the playoffs, go deep in the playoffs this year or even next year, it's going to be on the backs of this starting rotation. Um the Mariners win for the most part when the, when they're starting pitching pitches well. And I think now that we've seen Brian Wu and Bryce Miller pitch a bit more, I think the Mariners have the best starting rotation in baseball. And while you may see that as a strength and want to balance out the hitting with, you know, shaving a little bit of that pitching off, you're, I think that's, I would keep those five together myself. Um, unless you're getting a superstar, potential superstar bat back. Uh, and while Gorman has been a, an effective power hitter at second base, I don't know if he's ever going to be a superstar. So if it's me, I'm holding on to Bryce Miller and Brian Wu. Now, if Robbie Ray was healthy or Marco Gonzalez was having a, you know, had, had a sub for ERA and was going five or six innings a game, then you might consider trading one of those guys. I think the trade would be much easier, but with specifically Robbie Ray out, um, that increases the value of Wu and Miller for the Mariners. And so I would not deal them for Nolan Gorman. Um, there aren't a lot of names that I would. Certainly I would for a Jordan Walker. I think Jordan Walker would, would be a game changer for the Mariners, but I truly believe that Walker is not uh, accessible to the Mariners. Um as the Cardinals look at him as their, in many ways, as their Julio Rodriguez. So <clears throat> that's the Mariners cast for today, Friday, July 7th. Oh, real quickly, I wanted to add. So I didn't dig into the draft. I am very interested and been studying the MLB draft uh, and all the, the guys that are going to get drafted. Um, a lot of it is for fantasy purposes. Mariners pick, they have three picks in the top 29 or 30, I believe. Uh, one of them is from the Julio Rodriguez Rookie of the Year campaign. I think their first pick is number 22, if I'm not mistaken. It might be 21. But I'll go over who the Mariners draft when they do. But for now, if you want to dig in a little more um, to the draft candidates, uh, Joe Doyle is a great resource at J-O-E-D-O-Y-L-E-M-I-L-B on Twitter. Uh, MLB pipe or MLB.com backslash pipeline is another good resource. That's Major League Baseball's outlet. At Keith Law, K 
K-E-I-T-H-L-A-W. Keith Law is uh, the the minor league and draft writer for uh, The Athletic. Um, a lot of his content is behind a paywall. Keith Law has been great. Um, love his podcast. Uh, he was the ESPN uh, minor league guy for a long time. And then ESPN's new minor league guy, Kylie McDaniel, is also good at K-I-L-E-Y-M-C-D. Uh, but all those four resources are great. Joe Doyle, MLB Pipeline, Keith Law, Kylie McDaniel for all stuffed uh, stuff draft related. The draft is on Sunday. Tomorrow I will be on the road to Seattle for the Futures game. Uh, I may be able to get a pod up Saturday night. Uh, but if not, I will come to you Sunday with a recap of the next two Mariners games and my experience at the Futures game, what I see from Harry Ford and Jonathan Classe, if anything. Uh, should be a lot of fun. Super excited. I've always wanted to go to the Futures game. I'll be there with my buddy Matt, be back in my hometown of Seattle, uh, grab some good food, and head on back to Walla Walla. Uh, as I said, this was the Mariners cast. It is July 7th, 2023. Enjoy that Luis Castillo versus Hunter Brown matchup tonight. Uh, the Mariners cast was brought to you by Sports Ethos. You can find me on Twitter at Tino Junior 20. That's T I N O J R 20. And the podcast at Ethos Mariners, E T H O S M A R I N E R S. Take care, y'all. Get into your weekend, have some fun, do some crazy. Take care. Thanks for listening. Peace.